As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devinder Hardwar. I'm Reviews Editor Sherlyn Lowe. Today, we're going to talk about what the hell happened to GameStop's stock and how Redditors were kind of behind all of it. As always, please subscribe to the Engadget Podcast on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes. All that stuff is super helpful. But let's get right to GameStop and everything going on there. Honestly, I saw the story bubbling up this week, and I could not really make heads or tails of it. Um, It seems like a lot of media organizations took their time, too. The New York Times had a piece yesterday, so it was also like a couple days late. Everybody was processing it. Uh, But one thing I want to do is talk to somebody who actually knows more about the financial side of the game industry and this industry overall. So we brought on Mike Futter. Uh, founder of F Squared Consulting, to chat about this. Hi, Mike. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing well. Uh, This seems like a busy week for you, right? Because I'm seeing your name pop up all over the place where people are just trying to make, trying to deconstruct what what happened here. So can you give us just, you know, a quick overview? uh, Why is GameStop stock exploding like this? Well, there have been some natural reasons why GameStop stock has improved. Last year, about this time, it was bouncing between $3.50 and $5. And as I glance down at the ticker, it's currently (laughs) at $403, which seems a little absurd. And Mm -hmm. uh, it, it is a little absurd. So around September, the stock started to pick up a little bit. It started to break through that ceiling of around $5. When we got to mid-October, it was trading at about $10. And then news of this relationship between Microsoft and GameStop came out where uh, Loop Capital and Domo Capital were two companies, uh, Domo being long on GameStop, meaning they thought the stock was going to improve over the, the long term, and then Loop Capital being a short seller thinking that it was that it was actually not going to be too material. But the deal is essentially that every Xbox that GameStop sells into the ecosystem, uh, Microsoft is going to give them some kind of revenue share. Uh-huh. Now, we don't know how much that is. And depending on who you talk to, and again, everybody has a position that they're trying to reinforce, it could be as low as a percent or even lower, up to 10%. Nobody really knows at this point. Um, so then at the end of December, we had, you know, obviously at this point, the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series consoles have launched. They're selling out everywhere. Lyft's GameStop stock, stock to $20. Uh, every year, GameStop in January announces how their nine-week holiday period did. Uh, for this year, uh, they were down a couple of percent. Hmm. Uh, but they've also closed 11% of their stores. So what they look at is they look at comparables that includes their e-commerce, which was up, I think, something like 300%. So because of the pandemic, it drove a lot of people to GameStop's e-commerce site. That lifted even as stores were store sales were depressed. Um, and ultimately, based on their store comparables, uh, they were actually up nearly 5%. Hmm. So the okay. stock then, then jumped up to $30. 
And that's on like January 13th or so. So the, that's all like organic, normal. That's all growth. organic. You can yeah. you can pin that to to things that GameStop has done or parts of their business that have succeeded or parts of they have a, what's called a de-densification plan mm-hmm. where they're closing a lot of stores. I think their their target is closing 2000 stores. Um that also affects, of course, inventory carrying costs. So they don't have to order as much. They don't have to stock as much. It, it affects staffing. It affects rents. So there's a lot of, of, of expense side benefit that they have gotten that has uh, only been reflected as a few percent down total year over year. So so then Wall Street Bets um, really starts to pump Right. So subreddit Wall Street Bets, which is this group of just people who spend a lot of time at home day trading, basically, and trading tips around, right? Mm-hmm. And what makes GameStop particularly vulnerable is it was so heavily shorted such that uh, when you look at their float, now float is the percentage of stock that's publicly available to buy and sell. So it's not locked up for any reason. Um, there's nothing restricting that stock from, from entering the market. GameStop's flip was 138%, which makes absolutely no sense. Right. Because, yeah. So, uh, where's so that value flip, coming from, basically? So, that's what it's, you're it's, yeah. it's not so much as, as value as the number of shares that have been sold into the exactly. market. Exactly. Okay. Um, so, the way, the way stock shorting works is you borrow a share from somebody who owns it, you sell that share into the market, you have money in your hands. You are then betting that that stock is going to go down. You are going to repurchase the stock at a lower value and then return it to the person who owns it. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some tricky things in there. The first is that uh, if the stock goes up, you have to cover. At some point, you are going to have to return that share, which means anytime the stock goes up, that is loss for you. Which, as you can see, again, looking at that ticker at $403 <laughs> for somebody who bought in at $5, $10, $15, even $50 and expected that stock price to go down, they're losing money. Mm-hmm. Um, the other piece of that is you cannot vote with a loaned out share. So if I am a major stockholder and GameStop's fiscal year closes on February 1st, which is three, four, three days away, closes on the 31st, it's three (laughs) days away. And then there's going to be votes that happen as part of their annual meeting in a couple of months and their, and their earnings are going to come out. Those shares are going to have to get returned at some point. They're going to be called in. And if they're called in and the stock's at $500, which it almost was in pre-trade today, uh, and you bought it 50, you've lost a thousand percent. So you owe so that money. You owe yeah. that money. You have to, well, cause, and the way you owe that money mm-hmm. is you have to repurchase the stock. So what ended up happening was as the stock started to go up and there started to be a run on it, um, inventory started to decrease. And then you have short sellers looking at this going, <laughs> that number's going up. I'm going to lose a lot of money. Yeah. Um, what are these what, nerds doing basically? What is happening so, here? So it causes what's called a short squeeze. In other words, you have, uh, and then there's this term I learned today called a gamma squeeze, okay. which is <laughs> which feels like the Hulk's involved. Yeah. Uh, so, so you have this run on the stock, which which decreases inventory, increases price, and then you have short sellers who are looking to get out because they want to cut their losses and right. just cover at that point, which means they're rushing to buy more stock. Out of limited inventory. So even which, even though the, the short sellers want the stock to go down, the fact that they have to rebuy it pushes it back up, and okay. that's the gamma squeeze. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's this it's this this churn, this cyclical effect of people <laughs> rushing to get out. So two of the big ones, Melvin Capital has apparently gotten out. Uh, they lost a hundred. Uh, they. I'm sorry. I don't know how much they lost. Uh, it says I think they lost. They lost thirty percent. 
through mm-hmm. Friday from the beginning of the year of their total of their total value. Uh, they also made, interestingly enough, twenty five million dollars shorting CD Projekt stock. No oh, right before, so <laughs> they shorted it uh, right before Cyberpunk came out. And then obviously that stock lost a hundred or a hundred. What slot did me. they know? What yeah. did they know? I don't, I don't know. So let me, let me just say, so we can see like there are a lot of mechanisms involved here, Mike, and thank you for the explainer. We have somebody who's a little on the ground at, oh, really? uh, at wall street bets who can maybe give us a little more context about what was going on at Reddit. Where's I our Reddit that. bets insider. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're that. not watching in the live stream, it is just a uh, finance bro cartoon with sunglasses. I love it's, it. It's great. It's my favorite. <laughs> See, that's all we really are. So I am one of now, I think it's up to like 3.6 million people. I'm, I'm a nobody. I'm not a financial advisor. I don't have any fiduciary duty to myself or anyone else that's possibly listening to anything that I have to say. And everyone on the subreddit is the same exact way. So <laughs> okay. The way we choose stocks, such as GameStop, is literally based on other people telling us, listen, here's our due diligence, here is our research, here is why we believe this stock is going to completely turn around and transform into the next big thing, and if you don't agree with us, that's fine, here's a TLDR, bunch of rocket emojis, and we're all in. (laughs) So, from our perspective, the way this started was back about... Sometime in last year, um, in 2019 actually, this user, um, Deep F in Value, basically took out a $50,000 position where he set it for, uh, I believe he had calls for about uh, $8 a share. I'm not exactly the specific price, but essentially he bet that by January 15th of this year, he could make good on those calls and he held this entire time. Mind you, there wasn't really any news propelling GameStop forward or, or downwards. Everyone thought it was going to go bankrupt during COVID, like you were describing. Yeah. There was really no fundamental reason for this change. He just believed that with some form of restructuring, if they focused more on their e-commerce business, there was a hope that it could, at the very least, hit that $8 target price. And what ended up happening was Ryan Cohen, the Chewy.com founder, ended up joining the board and has a big position as well. You have Michael Burry seeing the same transformation and taking a huge stake in it. Um, the former president of Nintendo of America joined the board of, of directors for GameStop. And the Ryan Cohen news, I think, was the biggest propellant in terms of pushing users like myself to get on board. Because we believed if this guy can make Chewy a huge company in the stock market, he uh-huh. do the same exact thing for GameStop. And because of a user like DFB who constantly, every day now, is updating us, letting us know, like, hold the line, boys, we got this, that we all know we can just stick in and, and watch this ride. And then, a couple weeks back, like you're describing, everyone caught on to the fact that 140% of these shares were being shorted, which means that not only is there um, a short position on it, but there's most likely naked shorts, which is mm-hmm. technically illegal. And, Mike, you can explain that much better than I Sure. Yeah not a financial advisor here, but all of these factors and the fact that just a ton of people now are saying, listen, if this short squeeze happens, this price target will hit $1,000. There's no reason not to just try and see if you can join it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think there are, there are two concerns right now. Obviously, one is is the naked short problem, which is uh, given given the percentage of the float being, being it was 138 
0.5%. I think it went down to 120 after uh, Melvin and Citron both got out. Citron took 100% loss on their stock. So like that's real bad for them. Uh, I'm not really crying though because you – know, <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think we'll anybody's really that, crying sure. for how badly the hedge funds are really just getting hammered right now. And I think that's part yeah. of it too. I, I think a lot of the narrative is – this is very much a Robin Hood-esque story. And speaking mm-hmm. of Robin Hood, there is, there is that app, too, that was allowing people to, you know, make these trades really quickly. Robin Hood, by the way, has stopped uh, stopped allowing people to actually buy or sell GameStop or AMC or any of these other, um, these hot bets from Wall Street bets, right? Yeah, it's Robin Hood, uh, TD Ameritrade, Trading 212 are the three that I'm aware of that have... You can close out your position, but you can't mm-hmm. buy new. Gotcha. So I, I think there's a lot going on here because we're looking at, you know, why is this happening now? Right. I, I think a lot of people are at home. Uh, I've read that a lot of people are doing more day trading now, either because they're out of work or they have more free time. They have more time to, like, pay attention to everything that's happening here. And I don't know. I'm wondering, too, like, are stimulus payments, the fact that people are getting a little more money than they normally do. I don't know if that's factoring into that. Mike, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I, I think that anytime you've got this, it's the tax return thing, right? Yeah. People, if you think about how people view their tax returns, um, they're getting money back that they overpaid into the government. This is not entirely the same. Obviously, these stimulus payments are are, are important, but they're no strings attached. There's no yep. there's no uh, edict in which on what you have to spend them on. So if people are OK um, and they're eligible for a stimulus payment and this is how they want to spend their money, mm-hmm. I mean, if it's money, there are a lot of people who I assume are are looking at this as, well, it's not money I was expecting. And right, it's, right. so there is this. It's kind of play money at this yeah, point for a lot of folks. And they're like, OK, I, mean, I could take $500 on this random stock. Sure. Right. And, and I think for me, there's a little friction there because for a lot of people, yeah. um, that money and the, there's more that they need. And there's mm-hmm. more that, that people should have been getting along the way. So there's yeah. some there's some friction in there. Um in feeling like, you know, is this is this is this right? Well, you know what? It's your money. It's your money. And also like the they're not doing anything wrong. Like, let's be clear. Yeah. I don't think any <clears throat> of these day traders or personal traders are doing anything wrong. They are, in effect, kind of using Wall Street's tools against them. Right. Because mm-hmm. the thing that the big traders and the hedge funds always had over the dumb money over the, you know, standalone individual traders is that. They they had a ton of a bank. They could influence entire markets. They could influence stocks just based on what they're doing. And now it's individuals banding together in a way. Uh, there's a lot of talk about like the memification of what this is. Basically, it's um, trading turned into a meme. It's, uh, you know, Redditors getting behind one stock and turning into a meme and getting everybody to act on it. I think in a lot of ways that's... Um, I mean, that's kind of where we are as a society, right? Like, let's rewind four years. I kind of think the lead up to Donald Trump was the memification as this weirdo clown, you know, who's like, oh, he's not acting like anybody. Wouldn't it be hilarious if uh, if he became president? I think for a lot of people, that is kind of the thing, right? And he was powered by Twitter and a lot of social media as well. And that is that's it. We're seeing the power of the Internet to reshape society in fundamental ways. And I don't know, it's kind of right now, it's kind of funny seeing what's happening um, with this particular stock. But I do wonder, is I feel like with any major shift like this or any major bubble, it's going to burst eventually and it's going to leave people really hurting, too. Right, Mike? 
Yeah, I, I think that I want to I want to preface this by saying mm-hmm. I have no love for hedge fund managers. Yeah. I have no love for people who may have been involved or, with or were directly involved with what happened in 2008, 2009 that hurt a lot of people. Um, people lost their homes. They lost their jobs. They were furloughed. They lost their health insurance. And mm-hmm. who got bailed out on that? It was the banks that got bailed out. So banks and nobody went up, to jail. Nobody was really nobody punished for mm-hmm. literally destroying the economy. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, I, I I have no love for hedge fund managers. My my concern is that you're absolutely right. This is the way things are, and and memification. Um, we saw that that hit Twitter and Facebook, and I've got two potential concerns here. Um, is if this uh, becomes the norm, mm-hmm. um, again, no love lost for for hedge fund managers. Um, is that one? If this becomes prolific, does it destabilize the market? If if regulation is enforced because we know that the government is slow to regulate, right? Um, in a, in a in an environment where the government's going to react and then re-regulate everything and look at everything like, hey, oh no, our system has been broken all this time. We finally have to fix it. If that's the end result, I'm all in. Yeah, like I'm 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 on board for that. I don't believe the government will do that. I believe they will try to punish Wall Street bets and 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 average people and not hedge funds. Mm-hmm. My other concern is that we have seen foreign powers infiltrate social media through troll farms. And I, I, I'm afraid of how that this might be levered to, oh, for sure. to do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think like leading up to the 2016 election too, there's a lot of, there's a lot been that's been written about how Russian troll farms kind of manipulated media and social media in, in many different ways. And I wonder, this just seems like another vector of attack now, right? You could pick up a, a random stock, blow it up and then leave everybody high and dry in a way. And, you do that enough, that just really, I don't know, hurts the faith in the market, I guess. And it doesn't seem like things are going well right now either. I was listening to Marketplace Money yesterday. Um, things are hurting all around. This is, seems like the only aspect of the market that's kind of blowing up, right, is these meme lords. Yeah, I... My my again, this this kind of trickles down to my to my own personal trauma around sure. two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and my own fears. We all have our what, stories, yeah, but yeah. yeah, please tell me. Tell me, Mike. Um, so... Uh, I was working in nonprofits, which were which were pinched because nonprofits rely on rich people giving them yep. money in order to provide services, whatever those services are. And if people are underwater, if uh, people people's investments are down, then there's no money to give to nonprofits who are providing services because our healthcare system is broken, <laughs> and we need people to yeah, you know, we need nonprofits to fill in where our our systems don't work. Uh, so, so there's the hurt on that side. And that was particularly about the housing market. Um, we saw housing values go down. We, we were moving in 2009. We took a bath on a house that we had in, in not only purchased, but invested a lot in, in, mm-hmm. in doing upgrades to. Um, and, and then you've, you've just got the whole situation um, of things recovering very slowly and nobody, nobody facing any punishment for it as we, as we've talked about. So you, you've got all these different things. And then there's the credit card companies, of course, which are panic, which start to panic. And they did in 2008, 2009. We were, we were overutilized on our credit cards because, you know, my wife was going through, through medical training and not making a lot of money. And we had two kids Mm -hmm. and we needed to, you know, we had, we had stuff that we needed to pay. So we overutilized our credit cards and every time we paid off, um, we saw our credit limits go down. So there was like, we were always bumping up against that, 
that headroom. I will say there was one credit card company that didn't do that, and I will be loyal to them for uh-huh. Uh-huh. forever because of that. Um, so there are all these ways that that again, this is this is me thinking very long term. If regulation doesn't happen, if uh, faith in the in the system, even though the system is is wildly broken, um, is disrupted. Um, how is that going to affect people who are simply invested for retirement? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, again, we're not at that point yet, but I'm looking down the road and saying, are we going to get there? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a legitimate concern and we're seeing like a, people kind of pitch forward and see like where all this will take us. One thing I'm wondering too, like I do think the stock market and financial markets in general are almost purposefully hard to decipher for normal people too. So is this is this entire situation just Wall Street bets kind of using the tools of the finance industry against them? Is that what's happening? Like these people have decoded a certain thing and have found value in these stocks that they may think are undervalued and actually are able to pump them up now. Um, is this, I guess we talked about this before, but it does seem like, hey, now Wall Street has something new that they have to catch up on compared to everybody else. I think we will find out when GameStop reports its earnings. Yeah. I think if... There is a massive backlash um, that indicates that that brings the stock value in line to what the company is actually doing and how they're performing. Then we have, then there's a problem if the value holds because momentum buyers uh, aren't really concerned with ratios and concerned with what the earnings have to say right now, if they're in it long and believe that over time that the company is going to recover and the Mm -hmm. value and the share price doesn't shift in any massive way, then, Hey, then this is belief in the, the belief in the, in the stock and GameStop wins and, and everybody who got in during this week absolutely wins. Gotcha. How likely do you think that is? Because I do feel like we're seeing some people, I, I saw some Reddit stories about, oh, like, I was able to pay off my dog's operation because of, mm-hmm. you know, the money I've earned so far. What happens if people hold too long, right? There is a point where they could just lose everything, right? If it goes down? Yep. And that's kind of the thing is where I, I believe that there will be some kind of normalization. I think mm-hmm. GameStop will benefit in the long run. I don't see that this necessarily hurts GameStop enormously in the long run. But I also... You know, and, and the fact that this is so widely publicized, we're not just going to see the the end of this. Where usually, earnings report stock goes down. Nobody has been following where, like, why it yeah. got to as high as it was. Um, so there's the benefit there of no, everybody knows why it's as high as it is right now. So if it falls off down to 150, when it was before all of this at 30, 40 dollars, mm-hmm. that's still a win for GameStop. Now that doesn't mean that people aren't going to lose their shirts if they if they yeah. hang on too long. Yeah, yeah, and um, it is weird because like GameStop, we haven't even talked about the value of GameStop as a company, but I think it's a <laughs> terrible company. I think it's oh, yeah. oh my god, like this is talk about a company that failed to evolve as everything went digital. Um, and so much of what they did was just predatory on buyers, like selling warranties on things that people didn't need, selling um, used copies of games for almost the same price as mm-hmm. new games. Like th- there is the whole thing. Like I remember the very last time I was in a GameStop where I said never again. I went in there looking for the uh, the second analog stick attachment for the 3DS, I think, to play the mm-hmm. Resident Evil like that one title. And it's like this mm-hmm. weird accessory. Um, but I was just like, hey, do you guys have this in stock? Because I was walking by. And the guy just looked at me, snarked, and was like, should have pre-ordered, dude. I'm like, oh, your, yeah. your physical store, your yeah. one purpose is to have goods and services so I can buy them. 
And they couldn't do that. And they're always kind of dicks about it, too. So, mm-hmm. hey, I, I'm sad people were losing their jobs. But I think a lot of that stuff came down from corporate in terms of what they were mm-hmm. pushing their employees to do. I think, like, fundamentally as a company, they were just kind of toxic. They were held up by Funko Pops, basically, for the yeah. past decade and not well, really and, the sales of and then they And then they closed Think Geek, which was a beloved brand that they acquired. Um, so even they, they, they reunified that and they used Think Geek to prop up GameStop's e-commerce portal because people were going to Think Geek and buying stuff at Think Geek, but they weren't going to GameStop because yep. nobody wanted to buy online from GameStop. For instance, they don't do bundle shipping. So if you order three items that all come out the same day, they're going to charge you individual shipping for each of them. Well, I can order from Target. I can order from Best Buy and pick it up. I can order mm-hmm. from Amazon. Mm-hmm. You know, GameStop's the specialty retailer. It should be doing better in this <laughs> in this area. For sure, for sure. Sherlyn, like, I don't know how much you've paid attention to the gaming side of things, um, but I know also you at least are interested in the, like, how things are working on the financial side in America. Any thoughts on what's happening? Yeah, in America is a key point there, right? Because, A, in a former life, I worked in investor relations in Singapore. So issuing stock and talking to investors and talking about our share prices and stuff like that, it was a huge part of my life way back when. Um, and anytime something like this happened, like one time there was a rumor our company was going to be bought by this major international conglomerate, our share price went through the roof. But the second we moved beyond a certain number of points, like, I don't know, $20 or something, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there would be a trading halt. So to me, because that's the way the Singapore Stock Exchange is yeah, governed. Yeah. And for me, this is like, how did it get to this point where like the inflation's <laughs> pretty insane? And we have the no rules. There's... Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I guess this is a great yeah. f- because y'all are very free and open market. But for a lot of the uh, the live chat viewers are also saying that, you yeah. know, this can't keep going on. I, I, I agree with yeah. Mike here. I don't think this is very realistic to think this price is going to stick around. And if you're going to cash out now, good for you. Uh, but because everyone's your blocking the buy-ins. Go. Yeah. Right. If, if everyone's blocking the buy-ins now, hopefully that will drive the price down. I mean, like right now we're looking at the, the ticker it's fallen since this morning at four hundred and ten twenty ish dollars. Now it's at three ninety seven, but it's it's still fluctuating. It's very no, volatile. It, like let's be absolutely clear here. When I logged on at nine thirty a.m., the price was three ten. As we were recording, it jumped up to what four twenty. Four twenty. And now it's back to three ninety. So it's it is volatile. Still, it's, it's still ridiculous. blowing up. It's, it's ridiculous. Insane. This movement to me is it, it, not stability. Also, having been on the company side of things, right? I mean, like, I think we were all curious to see what GameStop would have to say. But me and Devendra checked out GameStop's various Twitter and public facing channels. And there was like nothing. We're like, we're chill with this, man. Like, yeah, they're totally, like, oh, all right. It's not as if they can cash out, right? Like, this isn't talking about mm-hmm. their market cap. This is this is mm-hmm. just a, a fake number that isn't actually their company's value. It's very different. Mm-hmm. Like when we issue new shares, we're talking about getting in more money to be like, here's our market cap. This is money that we have. But this doesn't really work for them until people start selling at that price. So, or, or start buying at that price. So people are buying at that price, but they also have to hold on to that money because they have to like anticipate the day that we're going to sell at that price. So it's like, all right, we're, we got a lot of money, but it's not money we can hold on to. If I mm-hmm. were GameStop, I'd be nervous. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is, is that accurate, Mike, or am I talking out my butt? Uh, oh, absolutely. I think I tweeted this morning that I that George Sherman has to be he's the CEO of GameStop has to be sweating right now. Yeah, because <laughs> if they do if they if they do one thing wrong, um, or if the earnings 
come in really poorly. Now, remember, yeah. they're still very supply constrained. Um, we heard from Microsoft earlier this week that they're expecting Xbox Series console shortages uh, at least through this current quarter, which ends March 31st. And then we heard from, I think it was AMD, said expect shortages through the first half of the year. Yeah. Now, PlayStation's probably dealing with the same thing. Uh, shortages, now, they're, they're, there's a slow trickle into, but we're, there's not enough units to satisfy demand right now so they're capped there switch is still doing very well but i think we're this is the quarter we're going to see that playstation 4 and xbox one really start to fall off you would have normally seen it in the lead up to a new console the 12 months leading up to a new console generation but because of the pandemic it actually drove hardware up it drove software up it was great for the industry so there's this double normalization that might happen for gamestop where we finally see last generation hardware start Mm -hmm. to fall off there's no new Um, or there's very little new hardware in the market. And by the way, if we start to exit the pandemic and people are able to start putting their entertainment dollars other places, live events, movies, concerts, vacations, then all of a sudden gaming starts to normalize a little bit. Uh I don't think it's going to suffer a huge backlash, but it's going to normalize. Yeah. Uh, Long-term, I don't don't know where where all this leaves GameStop. (laughs) Their business isn't changing, so... As a company, I just I think it's kind of a mess. Mike, what do you think just in terms of what this means for we're seeing the Reddit memes kind of hit AMC, hitting Mm -hmm. BlackBerry as well. And uh, our Reddit insider, feel free to chime in. But what are you guys seeing from where all this is headed? Like, is this publicized too much? It does seem like Wall Street Insider or uh, the Reddit bets uh subchannel like it seems it's all kind of ruined in terms of like the tips people were getting there too uh what is what are the next steps for reddit and for i don't know these meme stocks in general so to speak from i guess a <laughs> memer's perspective <laughs> uh the the way these stocks are being pushed there's a couple of angles people are talking about right now obviously the, the majority of them are other stocks that have strong short positions against them so essentially, it's that whole FOMO effect of like, well, I missed out on GameStop. What's that next big play? Mm-hmm. And so people are pushing things like AMC, Bed Bath and & Beyond, and BlackBerry for that reason. Um, not saying that any of them are actually good bets. It's more the fact that everyone wants to see what that next play will really, right, really be. Right, right. However, none of them have that same amount of float that GameStop does. None of them have the same amount of short position that GameStop does. And so anyone who understands what this current play is, they realize it is short-term. They realize this is just a short squeeze, that they're trying to replicate what happened to VW in 2008 and what happened to Tilray in 2018. All they're hoping for is that there's just going to be this major pop, the hedge funds will lose, they'll have to cover their short positions, and that people ideally set a limit sale for themselves Mm -hmm. at that comfortable price, get out, and they don't lose their life savings. As for where the next stocks go from there and how Wall Street bets goes forward, no one will ever be able to predict that because the beauty of it is it's unpredictable. Voice of that reason. Heartening. Yeah. <laughs> what a voice of reason. <laughs> Thank you, Mysterious Insider. We're going to move on to some like not as depressing game news, but also something pretty, I don't know, just dumb because uh, last Friday, as I was like writing stuff and, um, you know, really focused on reviews, uh, Microsoft just quietly announced that they were going to try to increase the price of Xbox Live Gold. Um, they were trying to increase the $1 or the one-month plan by $1 to $11 and the three-month plan to $30 from um, uh, $25. 
the six months plan was going to jump from sixty dollars uh, or from forty to sixty dollars. Um, effectively making a full year of Xbox Live Gold $120, which is insane because they actually used to sell a an annual subscription for $60. Uh, they actually stopped selling that digitally. Uh, you could still find the annual codes around. Amazon is still selling them too. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I think for a lot of people who play maybe on or off or maybe more casual players, like they rely on these cards. They don't want to give their credit card over to Microsoft because they just want to pick up something either with cash or when they're in the store. Um, I think for a lot of these gamers, it does seem like uh, Microsoft was trying to screw them. Fast forward like five or six hours. It didn't take very long. Um, Microsoft retracted these plans entirely. Because the internet exploded um, because everybody was saying, this is insane. Why are you doing this? We're still in the middle of a pandemic. Um, Microsoft backtracked completely. And they announced that um, free-to-play games like Fortnite, you're not going to need any Xbox Live uh, subscription to even play those anymore. Which is, that's also a big problem Microsoft had. Because unlike PlayStation, you still had to pay money to play Fortnite with other people, even though Fortnite is a free-to-play game. That always seemed insane to me and kind of tied to the earlier, like the way Xbox Live was founded. Rewind to the Xbox 360, right? Like they were doing online stuff, uh, networking, multiplayer in a more unified and cohesive way than Sony or or Nintendo for sure. Um, And you kind of had to pay for that because it was all running on Microsoft servers. Now things are a little different. Mike, I'm just wondering, like, from your perspective, why the hell did Microsoft even do this? They are so it's such a dangerous time for them to get any ill will. Why do this? Yeah, I I think that the timing on this was probably uh, not terribly well thought out. But (laughs) the reason if I had to guess and and we track Uh this a lot um, and we've, we've been following Microsoft, Microsoft has. Uh, for the past couple of years and going all the way back into the beginning of the Xbox One era where they stopped reporting sales for the Xbox One consoles, they started looking at usership. Microsoft has been leaning towards and is now fully invested in an ecosystem style approach. So they don't see Xbox One or Xbox Series consoles as their market. They see uh, consoles and PC and now moving into mobile Mm -hmm. with xCloud as their whole addressable market and as part of the Xbox ecosystem. So when you think about the different aspects and the different services that Microsoft has has put in place, Game Pass being a big one, um, Game Pass, uh, especially Game Pass Ultimate, which lumps everything in together, covers you on, covers you on your console, covers you on your PC, gets you xCloud, includes Xbox Live. The other challenge is once Microsoft got back into PC, they had a problem to begin with. As soon as they started doing that, they had a big issue because you could they were they knew they were never going to get people to pay for online multiplayer <laughs> on yeah. PC. Yeah. That would have been bonkers. Uh, and they didn't try to do it, which is smart. But now they've got this mismatch between console and PC that, that has been going on for a while. Um, Xbox Live no longer fits Microsoft's view of the market. It no it's longer, archaic, yeah. Yeah. So um you know, first, the first thing they did was they they moved video apps in front of the paywall because Netflix mm-hmm. used to be behind the Xbox Live paywall. Huh, okay. Uh, then they moved just now they announced late, I agree, uh, that free-to-play games. I think we are going to see Xbox Live fade away in mm-hmm. some way. And this was part of their attempt to create a value gap. Yeah, yeah. They've been increasing value on the Game Pass side. If they decrease the value of Xbox Live, the idea is we'll push more people into Game Pass because it's yeah. such... 
an obvious solution. I do feel like some nerd in Excel was just like, if I if I tick this price up this much, mm-hmm. this many consumers will shift over and it'll solve all our problems and our revenues will increase and yada, yada, yada. Um, not thinking of the human aspect of people saying, what the hell are you doing? We we need these things. Um, this is a good time to be consumer friendly and not just try to like nickel and dime us. Sherlyn, I know you're thinking about jumping into console land. You already have a Switch. Does any of this make sense to you? Or is this like leading? Is this fiasco even leading you more to PlayStation uh, than Xbox? A little bit. Uh, I mean, uh-huh. I still haven't made my decision. I might get both. But <laughs> I, I, so I pay for Nintendo's whatever online thingy, which is like just yeah, allowing exactly. You to it's have cheap the- enough that it doesn't matter. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So it's like a, a good price, like $120 would give me pause because that's like a whole other Netflix. But I will yep. say that the the only thing I really learned from this entire fiasco, I guess, was the power of the people. Right. This is the theme for today. It's it's people apparently have a lot of power. They just band together and shout at a company or buy a certain mm-hmm. stock like loud enough. Exactly. Exactly. And let's be clear. I don't think Sony is doing this super well either. Like in many ways, PlayStation Plus has been chasing Xbox Live. Uh, their multiplayer is still not as um, good or unified. And here's the thing. We've talked about this quite a bit. Game Pass is such a great deal. Game Pass Ultimate is a fantastic deal. Um, It's a little more than Xbox Live on its own, but you get a subscription of games and you get some actual free games to play. Uh, You get xCloud support, which I don't know if people are really into that yet, but it it works and it works pretty well. it is astounding to me that Microsoft would do anything to take away from the fact that, hey, we have the best deal in gaming. Um, and also when they're so vulnerable after a console, a new console launch, when they don't have many exclusives too. like this should be the point where they're just like really protecting themselves. And I have no idea who even thought this was a great idea. But uh, yeah, the Internet quickly, quickly said no. And <laughs> I guess we're seeing more of that. Um, any any further thoughts, Mike, about Things like this, because it's not like I don't think users can always just shout down price increases. But I do think this one was particularly dumb. And maybe Mm -hmm. that's it. Like you can't do these things without a real plan anymore. Yeah, I I think that Microsoft underestimated how vocal that and they probably they have the numbers. They know how many Xbox Live subscribers, how many people have moved over. Mm -hmm. I assume that that people who are just Xbox Live subscribers is a much smaller number now. Um, and, and people took advantage of those game pass deals where it's like spend a dollar and just convert all of your Xbox live time over Mm -hmm. into game pass ultimate time. Um, I think they, they, um, underestimated people who don't want subscription services. They want to own their games, whether that's digitally or physically. Yeah. They want to, um, just play a couple of games a year or only play free to play games. And like, I'm already paying you to play Fortnite with my friends Exactly. when I could on PlayStation, they're playing for free. And now you're going to up the cost. And all I care about is like Fortnite and Warframe. <laughs> That's not a good deal. So that group of people was very vocal, as Sherlyn said, mm-hmm. and, and that won out. Absolutely. Cool. Well, we'll keep an eye on this, but yeah, Sherlyn, any, any closing thoughts? Um, I think now is the time where you're going to start to learn like what you actually have to pay to be a member of these console communities. And normally it's good with Microsoft. I don't, this just seems like a big brain fart from them. Yeah, you're right. Games are expensive. Like, yeah. what? Why do you pay $40 for a game? But $40? Sometimes, I don't know, $35, $40, $60? <laughs> no, no, they're $60. 60. 60 and more now. And new <laughs> next gen games are $70. There so, you go. Yeah. That's expensive as crap. But yeah. the whole the whole thing that y'all were like, get an Xbox Sherlin. You won't pay too much for a Sherlin. And I'm you like, won't. 
<laughs> yeah, but here we go. No, but but thankfully there yeah. was that right, and, and this sort of sorted itself out. But but it does it does sort of hint to me that things aren't going to always be the same way. Um, yeah, just to kind of know that gaming is maybe an expensive hobby. I don't know. <laughs> it is is very much an expensive hobby. I think this is a good lesson. Like, just keep you have to add value, people. You can't take it yeah. away. Uh, Nintendo's smart thing was like, you know, their services really really cheap you know, cheap enough that you forget about it but also occasionally you just get free games it's like hey here's here's a new mario weird multiplayer thing that we've been working on um it just feels like a gift it feels like they're constantly giving you something and i think game pass kind of feels that way too uh nickel and diming people for a subscription even though not maybe not as many people are on xbox live anymore as they used to be Mike Futter, thank you so much for joining us on the Engadget Podcast. Where can people find you on the internet these days? Let's see. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Futterish, F-U-T-T-E-R-I-S-H. Um, I have a podcast with my partner, Amanda Farrow, uh, that is every Saturday called Virtual Economy. Great show, by the Twitter. way. Great show. Thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. So you can get us uh, at virtualeconcast.com. We're also on Twitter at virtualeconcast. Um, and then our consulting business is uh, fsquared.biz. Awesome. Thank you. And hope to chat with you again, Mike. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks. So I know GameStop kind of hogged all the attention this week, but there is some other news. This is, after all, a tech podcast. So welcome to some news from tech. Um, First of all, Apple early this week on Monday actually launched this thing called Time to Walk. It's part of the new... Well, it's part of Fitness Plus, it's part of workout mm-hmm. sort of, and it's almost sort of like a, a podcast that you can take with you and go on walks with. I don't know if you heard about this, Devendra, but basically you can go I did, walk with yeah. Dolly Parton if you want to. Uh, Dolly's great. By the yeah. way, great, great time to for exactly. people to really start to acknowledge how great Dolly Parton is. So yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The, the the amount of stuff she's done for this for this world. Mm-hmm. Um, so Dolly Parton was is one of the biggest names attached to Time to Walk. The first four episodes are now live. You got Shawn Mendes, Draymond Green, uh, and some others. Uh, big names are also being added, uh, and. It seems to be it's, it's only for Apple Watch owners. Again, this is really like fit, part of Fitness <laughs> Plus, which is only if you have Apple Watch. But so it's who like, knows? It, it is a thing for you to walk with, right? You're hearing them yeah. tell stories so while I've, you're just chilling. Yeah, 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 and I've checked some of these out. So, uh, for for example, the Dolly Parton one, you, you you listen to it with your AirPods on and whatever, and uh, she'll tell you like a story from her her life. And you can hear that she's walking too in in the sounds of the clips, and uh, she'll you know just these like meaningful life stories with life lessons. Uh, in one of hers is a story about how her dad keeps her grounded. Um, I won't spoil the story for some of you guys, but it's it, you know it's about her being so famous and yet her dad is like unfazed by it. And then you still hear, listen to some of the music um, mm-hmm. from some of these, like introduced by some of these people. So for so Draymond is it Green, like you're actually going for a walk with her? Is that yeah, the yeah, feeling? yeah? Mm-hmm. It, it, it tracks the workout, but it and mm-hmm. she doesn't tell you like turn left, turn right, and that not that sort of thing, right? It's not like a guided route. It's more like you're talking to a, you're walking with a friend and having a conversation with a friend, except mm. for it's one way. Um, but by the way, the music example. So Draymond Green, uh, you know talks about one of the songs that's played during his clip is uh drake's seven rings i think and seven big rings or seven I, seven rings is ariana grande um anyhow but I Dream, you're beyond Dream, me right now yeah <laughs> <laughs> welcome to young people land um but 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 dream on explains the song a little bit where like it's right after 
the song was released right after his team had won the national championship or something, and they all got their rings for the first time, and that song meant something to him. Um, so it's really interesting stuff like that. Uh, check it out if you have a watch. Doesn't hurt. Yeah. It it doesn't cost anything at the moment. So. I almost wonder if they're exploring like new things you can do with audio yeah, because yeah. here the weird thing about podcasting and uh, it also feels weird saying this is a podcast, but <laughs> Apple helped make it a thing, you oh, know, yeah. and they kind of didn't know what to do with it for so long when podcasts were introduced into iTunes and, you know, as part of it was even pre iPhone, you know, like yeah, it was a thing yeah. you would download on your iPod and walk yeah. with that's why they're called podcasts and right. they failed to monetize it they failed to like curate podcasts really well i think they finally kind of got there but even their i don't think their podcast app at this point can even keep up with the stuff we're seeing from pocket cast and everybody oh, yeah. so but being able to leverage other aspects of your devices and things yes. like hey what it what if Actually, you could do you could coordinate any podcast you're listening to with your step counts, you know, yeah. and have like a readout of what that is, yeah. especially now, like it would encourage more people to go outside. Right. So that's nice. Yeah, I think I think the idea of interactive podcasts mm-hmm. would be cool, especially one that like notices your step count hit a certain milestone and is like, congratulations, you now have unlocked this next bit of the story. Right, or something. Right, right. Who knows? You must walk 5000 <laughs> steps before you get to part two. Exactly. Isn't that cool? Otherwise, you can't listen to it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Um, but but uh, the one downside to this that I've, I've noticed a few people bring up, and it's rightly so, um, is that these episodes or these stories, Time to Walk, are downloaded directly to your device. You, you, you know, yeah. Apple automatically downloads the first four or five or so, and then it it will like replace the old episodes with new ones whenever they're released. So this space is mm-hmm. dedicated on your watch to, to these uh, stories. I mean, it's Dan Seifert uh, tweeted out like, or was it, it was Dan Seifert, I believe, tweeted it out like, oh, I love, it would be great for this time to walk to join the U2 album that Apple automatically downloaded to my phone. I'm like, <laughs> exactly. They There's shouldn't that. Be- Except this is something you're choosing, right? So, and I, the, our, so I have an Apple Watch Series 4. Mm-hmm. Apple Watches mm-hmm. have a decent amount of storage. I don't put yeah. mu- music locally on my Apple Watch. So yeah. I actually wouldn't it, mind if this is a little bit of something there. Yeah. yeah. It won't clog up your storage. Apple has, it, you know, has thought mm-hmm. about that. But if you look, Devendra, if you, by the way, just open up your Apple Watch, you go to the workout app, yeah. you'll see it pop up at the top now. Um, I actually yeah. I'll go dust it. off my workout app, <laughs> uh, which has never been tapped before. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so if you guys check out Time to Walk, that's that, you know, home fitness is so like, this is outdoor fitness, but people are interested in fitness, I guess, nowadays, even more so with the resolutions and stuff going around. Uh, so <laughs> this is a nice time for Apple to launch something like that, I guess. But, but more, more tech news. Uh, we got Sony making a bunch of uh, news in the space this week for people who love the Xperia phones. You should, I think you should have seen the news about the $2,500 Xperia Pro 5G. This is like a high-end phone designed just for content creators, right? Like Sony has been differentiating itself with the Xperia phones for years with like better video uh, features, better video qualities for a while. Like they were the first to put 960 FPS in a phone for Mm -hmm. slow-mo and because so they the, make the sensors everybody uses, right? Like everybody uses Sony cameras. Sensors, yeah, basically. Exactly. Yeah. In those phones. So, but they, you know, they have good software to boot in addition to the hardware. Well, I guess depending on your preferences, it's good software. But um, yeah, this is the Xperia Pro, obviously, $2,500, not meant for everyone. It's really just for 
It's for people who were interested in the red hydrogen one, but maybe want something that they, you know, can use and share, I feel like. Um, and I don't know if you guys remember the red hydrogen one, Devendra, if you remember the holographic <laughs> phone. Yep. I do remember that because I think it was <laughs> Silicon Valley, the final season of it. Yeah. Uh, the douchey billionaire VC guy. He was the only person I've ever seen on TV with the red hydrogen one, but that was like one little bit of set dressing. I was like, Oh, Oh perfect. Perfect. Yes. Of course he would have that dumb phone. That's a perfect character detail, but but yes. So, so this phone, I mean, check it out. Uh, Chris Velasco wrote it up uh, on our site. It's got like, yeah, Snapdragon 865. It's like a it's like a slightly better Xperia two, one two. Isn't which it, is a great name. Just, just from the write up, it seems like this is built to be a camera buddy kind of phone, right? Not sort really of. just your personal phone, but something you would attach to a big camera to have like either live stream support for five G. It could be a hotspot. It could also yeah. give you another lens to live stream from, right? Right. And then meanwhile, if you, you just wanted a phone that you could take with you everywhere, yeah. just in case you had to be at the ready to shoot, you know, really great content. Uh, it's there too. And then 5G, obviously, when, when the promises mm-hmm. of 5G does come through or do come through, um, then it can tap those speeds and give you like really good high-end live streaming, maybe. Maybe it's this is a smart idea. It, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like exactly. a buddy phone. Yeah. So then the other thing that Sony announced was the A1. It's a full-frame mirrorless. Uh, obviously, so people love Sony cameras. I just wanted to give a quick shout if you're an inspiring vlogger like I might be. Let's just, um, this is a 50-megapixel <laughs> camera that can shoot 8K video. It yeah. sounds insane. Yeah, it's insane. Plus, it can shoot 30 FPS at burst. Like, burst uh-huh. pictures, uh-huh. 30 FPS. I remember when I used to be covering <laughs> cameras, when like 10 to 12 burst yeah. frames per second was like, like high. Oh, I was like, nice. oh shoot, I was so good. This <laughs> will cost you quite a bit, right? This thing is $6,500. Mm-hmm. Not not oh, for man. the typical vlogger, maybe for the vlogger that's ready to go to TV, you know what I mean? But uh, <laughs> eh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting device again from Sony. So I, I just saw these things on my Twitter feed and people are obviously to me interested about it. Another, I've, I've, uh, how do you feel about Sony's full frame cameras, Sherlyn? Cause I know you have an older DSLR. I'm in yes. Sony's mirrorless family right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have the a6000. I've been, it's a good I need one. something a little more, you know? Right, right, right. I, for mirrorless, I think Sony is one of the better ones out there. I mean, like again, in a former life, I reviewed mm-hmm. cameras. Sony had really good image quality, good software, um, but I'm always have been a Canon girl. And yeah. since like I bought my first DSLR in I don't know 2006, <laughs> I don't know. But like you know, uh, it's really personal preference a lot of the time. But mm-hmm. Sony has done a lot of very their mirrorless stuff is very good. I'm not sure about any of their other higher end stuff. What about yeah, you? Yeah. I mean, I've been, I think since I started doing tech writing, I, I've just loved the look of the Sony cameras. And I think that's yeah. one thing aesthetically. I like the idea of like this tiny little, little, you know, camera body and like a big, big sensor oh, or yeah. a big oh, yeah. lens. And Full frame. it's kind of oh, uneven, but I also yeah. feel like it is just cool aesthetically and they have really good autofocus. So I'm stuck in the Sony ecosystem. People tell me Canon and Fuji are better, and I'm sure yes, they are, Fuji, but I also oh have like gosh. a telephoto, and I have a yeah. pancake lens, and I have all <laughs> sorts of stuff, so I kind of need to be here for now. Still waiting for that perfect um, – I feel like Sony's exploring many different things. Still waiting for like a good full frame that's a little smaller. I think Steve yeah. Dent just reviewed one for us. I mm-hmm. forget the model number. Um, but, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just looking for an upgrade. I need 4K I- video <laughs> soon, I think, yeah. I just remember one of these dead dead gadgets that we had an episode about, uh-huh. but I didn't talk about. I completely forgot it existed. It's so dead. It's when Samsung made like a Galaxy camera. 
<laughs> oh like god phone baked yeah into a camera. oh man this was back when again back when i covered cameras but uh it like and then they made this tiny little like cute little pocket camera and it was like mm-hmm. a really great f1.8 lens built in very similar to back the, when people um, were making pocket cameras right like htc yeah. had built one Gosh, yeah. And it was very similar to Sony's RX100 series, except for bad. But anyway, (laughs) speaking of bad Samsung decisions, uh, this week we also learned, for some reason, Samsung decided to let people know this week that the S21 Ultra uses a low-power OLED. And a few of us got together. That sounds like a good thing. It's a good thing. Just a few of us, like, this is really a personal complaint, but a Uh a few of us in the industry were like, did Samsung tell us this when they launched the phone? Yeah. Yeah, because we would have talked about it, but it does explain a lot of the like, uh, you know, why the S21 Ultra lasts a lot longer or gets better battery mm-hmm. life than the S21 and S21 Plus. Uh, not, no one seems to have reviewed the S21 Plus just yet, but the S21 doesn't seem to have as good battery life as the S21 Ultra. So mm-hmm. if you're still making that decision, because, you know, some of these phones have been delayed, the S21 and S21 Plus have been delayed till February, um, you can, you know... Maybe if battery life is a huge concern to you, the S21 Ultra does seem like it has better like battery life to offer. If you um, can afford it. If you super, if you want to pay the twelve hundred dollars for it. Uh, uh yeah, I mean everything else in, in tech news has been dominated by GameStop and stuff. We've got Garmin announced a new watch that they say is their smallest ever and is made for small wrists. Good for you. And then Carl Pay. <laughs> Formerly from OnePlus, I believe, announced this thing called Nothing. So basically, Carl Pay announced Nothing. I hate, I hate this. Too. Okay. It's like essential. Thank you. I hate it. Yeah. Yes. So there you go. A little bit of like a, a highlight. What is Nothing? Do we reel. know? Is it anything? It's, we do know it's, an, it's a company name, I believe. He's just announced it. And it, the tagline is, Nothing is removing the barriers between people and technology. Uh, and that it. sort of stuff. Like it's it, They're making connected devices. We're going to see this first... Smart devices, according to the press release. Um, yeah, the first enough, phone you have year. to jam into your arm. Like, that's it. Yeah. Removing the up. barriers. Removing <laughs> the barriers. <laughs> there you go. Put it in my face. Just stick it in my face. Just <laughs> That doesn't sound right. Anyway, <laughs> there you go. Welcome to an update from the world of tech. All right. Thank you, Sherlyn. Let's move on to what we've been working on. Um, the Sundance Film Festival is kicking off this week. Both Shirley and I will be doing some coverage out of that. It is entirely virtual, but I think what's really cool and interesting this year is that they've built this VR platform that you can just access if you have a headset. It is a WebXR thing, so you go to a website and it kind of launches you into the Sundance experience. People on laptops and desktops can join you too, like in a 2D interface, and you can interact with them. I did a preview. It is like based on what I've seen, it is kind of basic. Like it's not like Mm -hmm. a high quality, you know, super. It's not going to be like Half-Life Alex level VR. But it's a really interesting way to sit and talk with people, um, especially like after a screening or something. It feels more social to me than Mm. a Zoom call, right? Like and there's just a lot you could do with it. You can if you're on a PC, you can flip on your webcam and your little avatar head will just be your live video. And you can talk with people who are in VR Unfortunately, you can't do that in VR. Sherlyn is putting on her Oculus Quest 2 right now. Um, That's how we're going to be Sundancing. Check out for coverage. We'll have more stuff later this week and probably more next week. I generally like covering film festivals when we look at like VR stuff, and we haven't been able to do that this year at all. So 
this is a fun thing. We haven't been able to like go to the New York Film Festival or Tribeca or anything. So oh, look yeah. for more Sundance coverage for us. Our first time doing like significant Sundance coverage in a long time. I'm excited. Uh, Shirley, I know you have a couple things you want to see too. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're, we're going to see a lot of them uh, in the next few days. I have that Oculus ready to go. I am excited. Like you said, it, it does sound like a more social experience than than typical VR experiences. Mm-hmm. I want to say I haven't really checked it out just yet. But I also have other things to review that are that have arrived. Oh, it's like, great. Thanks <laughs> a lot. Uh, maybe you guys can help me decide what I should review next because I want to see yeah. whether there's any interest in something before we commit to reviewing although there are some things that we decide on our own anyway i have a new laptop it's like a thinkpad x1 series if y'all are interested you tell me because then i'll review can it. you say which one it is or is that important? uh i'm pretty sure i can there's been reviews okay. of it out already is the thinkpad x1 nano it's one of the like one of the lightest thinkpads yet um and another thing should we like we've already covered the garmin lily watch but should we give it a bit more time and devote like a full review you guys let us know send us obviously your thoughts to podcast at engadget.com or or tweet me you can find out later on what my twitter handle is but yeah it got things to do you know it's a, it's, a, it's a life. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, we're not going to be slowing down anytime soon. It still feels like I'm recovering from CES, even though that yeah. ended oh, two or three weeks ago. But that was just such a mad rush of work. Um, let's move on to our pop culture picks for the week. Shirlin, yes. what what are yours? It sounds like you already like claimed one before I could even write it down the list. God I was so nervous because I saw you tweet about this and I was like, damn it, uh-huh. Devin's going to try to recommend this. I better like claim it. So I claimed The White Tiger. It is a film on Netflix and uh, it stars, I, I can't remember all of the names offhand, but it stars and is produced in part by uh, Priyanka Chopra. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I guess she's she's titled as uh, Priyanka Chopra Jonas now because she married. Oh God! Uh, don't don't even Nick. remind me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's it's really gripping, harrowing at times, hard to watch film uh, about this man who you know grew up in I guess the slums. I don't even know what the right word. The villages of India. Some villages. Yeah, in the India. very very low caste man who very is very rural. Um, exactly. So it's it's a movie that confronts the caste system of India in yeah. a in a very direct way. It is very parasite, you know. It's very like parasite, parasite in India. Um, maybe parasite meets the Joker yeah. in a way, but yeah, yeah, that's basically almost. What are, so yeah, what are your yeah, thoughts, yeah. I I really liked it, and I was talking with this uh, with some friends, and it makes me confront a lot of very difficult issues. Right, I'm a person who likes science fiction films because they often look very polished. They're not very gritty, mm-hmm. but this is one of those where it's it is in your face. The like the hard, toughness of life. It's about the weaknesses of human nature. It's about it's just about so many. I love deep topics, and the, there's so many deep thoughts going mm-hmm. on here. Racism for me was one of the things that kept coming up because Singapore is sort of like a multiracial country, but and we have a lot of like we have native and local Indian people, but we also have Indian immigrants come to work in Singapore too. And a lot of the way that they're being treated, or this movie depicts a lot of uh, lower caste people as being treated, is I think reminiscent of some of the ways that people are being treated in in, in lots of other parts of Asia. So Mm -hmm. it's just eye opening. It's it's. A great story is a triumphant story, obviously, towards, you know, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but it's, although it's hard to watch, you kind of still have to keep watching. It's funny. It's energetic. It has like a Goodfellas vibe, too, where it's like, oh, this is how I rose through a world of crime or something or, you know, stepped away from the slums. There's a lot going on. I don't think it's as like polished as a movie like Parasite. And it is. 
maybe a little philosophically messy too, because I've talked yeah. to, you know, a couple other reviewers, um, who, you know, especially Indian reviewers who are like, is this, is this this kind of poverty porn too? I think a for a lot of viewers, this is going to be a yeah. way to confront the, the caste system of India and the sheer level of poverty that exists in that country. While yeah. there's a middle class that is, that exists that just mm-hmm. kind of ignores them and treats these people like garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a fascinating movie. Yeah, just just in that respect. And do want to shout out, it is directed by Iranian-American director Ramin Bahrani, who he did this great documentary called Man Push Cart. Um, like, he is one of my... Oh, that one. Uh, yeah, he he's one of my it. favorite uh, kind of indie directors. He did 99 Homes, um, Chop Shop. Also, that terrible Fahrenheit 451 adaptation on HBO. So I don't... I'm glad he's kind of rebounding from mm-hmm. a bad adaptation to... Something that is like meaningful and uh, and interesting. So yeah, anything but, else? Really? But yes, I have one more recommendation because I wanted to still have a surprise for you. But this isn't really much of oh, a boy. surprise. Um, I discovered that Emmanuel Acho, who is this football player who launched a YouTube series called "Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man," uh, mm-hmm. he has a book also titled Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Mm -hmm. Man. And I've been reading it. I'm about like 40% in, and it's just really, really good. It's, it's like a more, like it's a, it's a different version of the YouTube series where Mm -hmm. like there's more, I think not research, not just more research, but it's just an easier way to digest some of what he's being like trying to tell you. Mm -hmm. If you prefer read reading written words versus listening to someone talk, I guess on YouTube where you just don't like the YouTubes. Um, I think this is a really good, it's been very eye opening, already very educational, very informative. I mean, you don't have to agree with everything that he says. And obviously Mm -hmm. Emmanuel Acho doesn't represent every black person, but it's been it's I like his approach right every chapter starts with a difficult question that one of his viewers has asked um like is when is it okay to ever use the n-words for example is a question Mm -hmm. that was asked in the book and he not only takes you through the yeses and nos or or answers to question but he also gives you kind of the historical context and then he gets to why it's so difficult to talk about and then he tells you so what do you do so it's like it's a very structured approach i really like that and i love learning a lot about because i don't know uh, these things i don't i just don't know about this country's history as much as a lot of other people who have grown up. Yeah, Singapore, a very diverse place, but I don't I don't know how Deeply many races in other ways. actually ended up in Singapore. You know, it's it's no. a very tough thing to see. Yeah. No, very, very few. Mm-hmm. So uh, if any. So I, I, this is my way of learning about this country's like very problematic history um, and present. So I liked it. Hey, I'm glad wanna, I want more yeah. people to do this research. Yeah. Please. I think so. And I think that if you're still trying to, we shouldn't stop educating ourselves. So if you, mm-hmm. you're still wanting to learn more about racial injustice and just perspectives of different people, check it out. Cool. I want to shout out um, on Hulu is this new special called uh, Derek Delgadio's In and of Itself, which mm-hmm. is a adapt. It is a film version by Frank Oz, by the way, one of my favorite directors and actors, the voice of Yoda, you know, the voice of many, many Muppets. Um, But when he directs something, he also like is a really interesting artist. Um, Mm. So this is his film version of quite sort of a magic show, but almost like it is a really new type of way of doing magic because it's also a show that's about identity and exploring who you are and how you identify yourself and how other people see you. It is, 
it is almost like a religious sermon in a way where he asks people to confront themselves and their identities. So I'm not going to say too much. I'm not going to spoil anything. Um, I do think if you guys like my recommendations in general, you should go watch this. It's on Hulu. Just go watch it. It is fantastic. And also, at some point, go watch our interview. We got to interview Frank Oz several years ago at South by Southwest, and that's still one of the most fun things I've done at Engadget because uh, he's just like a mensch, just like a really nice guy because um, <laughs> he w- he also did a documentary about the voices behind the Muppets. Uh, I believe it was Muppets guys talking. Um, great video, and he was just super nice and even like – as we were starting that interview, he mm-hmm. does this thing as like a professional voice actor. He has to clear his throat, <laughs> but he did this like loud scream call. He just like <laughs> made a loud noise. And I thought, oh, my God, did we kill Frank Oz? Because like right <laughs> at the beginning of our interview. And then he smiled like like a little Yoda grin or something. It was kind of fun. <laughs> what a so, way to break yeah. any attention, if any. <laughs> Seriously. And it was, it was also in like an open room with like all the other media recording Amazing. things, too. So I'm like, uh, did we ruin something for somebody along the way anyway check out Derek Delgadio's in and of itself on Hulu I'm sure you'd all love it well that's it for the episode this week everyone thank you as always for listening our theme music is by game composer Dale North our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien this podcast is produced by Ben Elman you can find Devendra online at at Devendra on Twitter and also podcast about movies and TV at the slash filmcast at slash film.com if you want to invest a little time in interacting with me, I'm at Sherlyn Lowe on Twitter. Email us your thoughts and feedback at podcast.engadget.com. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts, including Spotify. So to speak from, I guess, a memer's perspective, <laughs>